Praise God. We're just so blessed to have the band. Give them a hand. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 to 25. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Romans 8, 12 to 25. So then, brothers and sisters, we are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. It is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we, in fact, suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit Grown inwardly will we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the worship, Lord, that has brought us, Lord, before your throne and allowed us, Lord, to proclaim that we are indeed children of God. We ask, Lord, that you will speak to us, Lord, through this word as it is proclaimed. Give me your thoughts to be my own. Speak to us what we need to hear from you this morning. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've been here for several weeks, you know that I've been doing scripture from the book of Romans. And as we've done that, we, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we have just discovered that Romans is full of deep theological thought. I mean, Paul is really asking and trying to answer the questions that we as Christians have, that we as Christians struggle with, that we as Christians discuss and sometimes even debate. What does it mean to, to die with Christ so that we can be raised with him? How do we overcome the struggle with sin in our own lives so that we can live righteously before God? How do we, how do we walk in the spirit? How do we do what is right before God when there are so many temptations? 
How can we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh? So these are just some of the questions that we have discussed just over the last several weeks as we have tried to go through the book of Romans and follow Paul's discussion with this church. These and many other questions of faith have been discussed leading us to this scripture now that we read in chapter 8. Given all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, Paul poses that we are obligated not to the flesh, but to the spirit, that we have so much to be thankful for, that we have an obligation to this family of faith that we have been a part of. As Christians, Paul is basically saying we have a lot to celebrate through our adoption into the family of God. There's a lot that we should be thankful for every single day in that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, made his acceptable into the family. And the first one that we need to be thankful for, of course, is that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. Without Jesus coming into the world, we would still be under the old systems of sacrifice, of trying to atone for our sins, and of always falling short of that level of holiness that we need to be a part of the family. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and through our faith in that sacrifice and in him, the scripture says we are made to be children of God. Now that's a great thing, to be a part of the family of God. That is something that we should celebrate. That is something that we should always remind ourselves of because the enemy always tries to deceive us and lie to us and said, oh, no, you're not good enough to be part of that family. You're not worthy to be part of that family. You've done so many mistakes, they should kick you out of that family. You know, the enemy's always trying to, to make us feel like we're less than what we really are in Christ. And Paul wants the church to affirm that they are indeed children of God through their faith in Jesus Christ. The other thing that comes as a blessing of being part of the family of God is that we no longer live in fear. As Christians, I want you to hear this, as Christians, there's nothing that should make us afraid. Nothing. And you would say, well, you know, people are afraid of so many things. Dying, being broke, getting into an accident, all kinds of fears that we have. So what does he mean when he says we should no longer be afraid, we should no longer live in fear? What he's trying to say is because you are now part of the family of God, you have the promise that God is going to be with you through thick and thin, through whatever situation you will face, that God is never going to leave you or abandon you or kick you out of the family, that God is going to continue to reach out to you whenever you fall to lift you up, and that no matter what you go through, nothing will be able to separate you from the great love that he has for you in Jesus Christ. You know, that should drive away all fear. The love of God for us should help drive away our fears. In Jesus, we have grace that forgives our sins. 
In Jesus, we have one that understands our situation because he lived like one of us. He lived in the flesh. He understands what it is to be hungry, to be sad, to be tempted. He understands what it means to see a loved one pass away. He understands everything that we go through in a way that is real. And so he doesn't just have sympathy for us. He has empathy because he lived it. He went through it as, as one of us. We also have to be thankful that we have received the spirit of adoption and not slavery. Adoption. Adoption means that you were chosen. You know, my mom was stuck with me. I was born to her. She didn't have a choice. You know, I was born into the family. But when it comes to us and God, the scripture says that we are adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. And that is important because the family of God was the Holy Trinity. It was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. God was complete. God was not lacking anything. God was not needing anything. But God created in his image. And he created us to be in relationship with him, to be part of the family. And then through Jesus Christ, he gave us the privilege of being adopted into the family and being able to call him father. As Paul says, we can call him Abba Father, a term of endearment, a term of closeness that lets us know that God doesn't want to be a distant father, that God wants to be a close father, one that is always there for us in our ups and in our downs. If you've ever known people that were adopted, they might be able to tell you the story of how difficult it was for them when they were first adopted, switching to calling their adoptive parents mom and dad. If they were old enough to understand and they had come from other situations and they came in and they were adopted, at first they didn't call mom and dad their adoptive parents. It might have been Lucy and Frank or Steve and Jill, but they weren't calling them mom and dad because it takes accepting that you are part of that family and they have accepted you and committed to love you and trust to be able to actually call them mom and dad. And so what Paul was saying here is, I want you to understand that you can call him Abba Father. You can call him Father because the Spirit of God is bearing witness to your spirit that you have been adopted, that you have been made part of the family, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are restored, and that you now are a child of God. We just have so much to be thankful for when you really think about that. We have to be thankful that this means that we're not just children of God, but when we were adopted, we were made co-heirs with Christ. You know, those that have been adopted often take on the last name of the family that they're adopted into, right? So that, you know, if it was the Smith family, now they're a Smith. If there was a Jones family, now they're a Jones. When we get adopted into the family of God, we become Christ. So I'm Miguel Christ, Christian Christ, Eleanor Christ. 
Each one of us has taken on Christ as part of our identity. We have become part when we were adopted into the family of God and when we were included. And that comes with all the duties and responsibilities that go along with the name Christ. Have you thought about what that means? Anytime I went into a store, my mom would say, do not embarrass me. You represent me and your father and the rest of the family for generations. It was like I was carrying all that legacy on my shoulders when I walked in as a five-year-old into the store. And in many ways, when we become part of the family of God, we take on the legacy of being ambassadors for the family, of telling people about the family, of inviting them to become a part of the family. And that means that there are responsibilities that we take on as Christians to contribute to the family of God and to the kingdom of God, which is what this family is all about. But let's face it. Sometimes we want the benefits without the responsibilities of our relationships. Anybody experience that? My kids, they love all the blessings. Now talk to them about chores or responsibilities, and that's a whole other thing, right? Why do I have to do that? Well, because you're a part of this family. Why do I have to pick up my... Because you're a part of this family. Why do I... Because you're a part of this family. That is the reason we must suffer with him so we can be glorified with him, Paul says. This doesn't mean that we go out looking for suffering. It just means that when the family goes through something, you go through it with the family because you're part of the family. When we all go on vacation, you go on vacation. You don't just get to stay home. When we do things as a family, you are part of the family and you come along and you are part of what we're doing Suffering for Christ doesn't mean that we go looking for hurt, but it means that when hurt comes, we're not discouraged by it. We simply check it up to, that's just part of being the family of God. When people persecute us, when people treat us differently, that just comes with the territory of being a follower of Jesus. When my children were growing up, though, they, they never wanted the, the responsibilities. They loved the benefits, but they did not want the responsibilities. They wanted to skip the chores and go straight to dessert, you know? They wanted to skip the picking up of the room and go on vacation. They wanted to do whatever they could to bypass those difficult times that they had to put some skin in the game and do something that was going to cost them something. And sometimes, as members of the family of God, we do the same thing. It is our natural inclination to want the blessing, but not the obligation. Being adopted into the family of God, though, means that we've got to be fully invested in the family and the kingdom of God. It means that we learn to endure through the suffering and the persecution and anything else that might come our way, because we know that the blessing that waits for us down the road is so good, God has so much for us that, that it's worth going through whatever we have to go through. My son is great about doing chores because he likes organization. But he also knows that there's blessings that come out of doing all those things that contribute to the family. He knows 
the hot chocolate is waiting that night. He knows the vacation to Holiday Inn, which is his favorite, is coming. He knows these things are down the road. And because those things are down the road, guess what? He doesn't mind doing the dishes. He doesn't mind doing the, the things that are along the way that take time and effort. Paul wanted the church to not forget that they had been made heirs with Christ. But with that promise of an inheritance in Jesus comes all the responsibilities of being part of the family. Because when it comes to God's family, God does not have stepchildren. I want to say that again. God does not have stepchildren. We are all adopted and made full children of God when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we reject sin, when we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, Christ is attributed to us with his full righteousness. And we are all equally present before God the Father as his children. This doesn't mean that everything's going to go well and that there won't be any difficulties or pains or sufferings or sickness or, you know, financial struggles or anything else that we might experience in life. All those things will still happen. But the difference is that as part of the family of God, we don't go through any of those things alone anymore. Now we have a family of God that can pray for us and support us and be there with us in our times of need, a shoulder to cry on, a person to call, somebody to hold our hand as we're getting treated for cancer, somebody to lift us up when we're pregnant and worried about the pregnancy, somebody to be there at our funeral of a family loved one so that they can give us comfort and hope. We have to endure those things, but we no longer have to do it alone. So what does God have in store for us? Well, Paul says that God has so many good things in store for us that we can't even imagine it. That the blessings that we have that we can look forward to are so incredible that we can't even fathom them. That the whole creation groans waiting for its redemption, that God will even redeem creation itself from its enslavement to decay. You know, the book of Revelations tells us there'll be a new heaven and a new earth because this one will have passed, because this one will have been redeemed. Paul compares this suffering that we endure in this life to labor pains. And we got a few women in the congregation that can relate to this, just a few. Right? Labor pains. When a woman goes into labor, the pain, I have been told, is excruciating. Some have described it as trying to give birth to a cantaloupe or a watermelon, depending on how big your baby was. Giving birth is not something that happens right away. You don't just show up at the hospital, boop, baby's born. No, it's a process that often requires their body to be tested and stressed to its limits, where their strength is tested, where their determination is tested. During that process, they often look at their husbands with that death stare like, you did this and I'm going to kill you. But then there's that moment when the baby has actually arrived and it gets placed on their chest. 
And they can feel the heart of that newborn baby with their hearts. And all that suffering, all that labor, all that struggle gets replaced with love, joy, and an overwhelming sense of satisfaction to be on the other side. At that moment, all of that suffering and stress and pain fades away because what is to come is so much better. That new life that you get to experience and hold. Paul basically is saying, this is how it will be with our own redemption when it comes. But we're not there yet. We're still in the groaning stages. We're still in the suffering of the labor pains. We're still together waiting for it to come fully. Our suffering is not just for the sake of suffering, though. You know, no woman goes, yeah, I just, I just want to have a lot of pain constantly in waves. No, nobody goes into that wanting that part. You go into it because you know the results are going to be worth it. That at the end, what you're going to experience is going to be so good that what lays in between is bearable. And you can make it through it. When we think about this suffering, what Paul was saying is that we suffer because we know that there's something so much better ahead of us. We know that this world would be so much better if everybody became Christian, but we know that everybody is not Christian. We know everybody has not decided to live by the righteousness of God. We know that the world has not turned and humbled itself before God and decided that it's going to offer love and forgiveness to every person. The world we live in would be so much better if all that happened, but we know it hasn't happened yet. And that is what causes our suffering as Christians. When we see the pain and the suffering in the world and the injustice, when we see the things that destroy lives like addiction and disease, this is where our hope comes in. We hope even as we do not see the fulfillment of our hope. We are in that in-between time when you know you're expecting the baby, but it hasn't arrived yet. Can anybody get an amen? Right? I got an example in the congregation, so I could just go <laughs> right there. You're in that moment. You're, you know you're expecting. It's not here yet. You're in that in-between time. But we have hope. We have hope even as we have not seen the fulfillment of that hope. We know that it will get worse before it gets better. We do know that, right? And it's also true about our world. We know that it'll get worse before it gets better in many ways. But we're okay with that. Why? Because we have hope of what is to come. Because we want to come out on the other side. Earlier in the, in the letter, Paul had said, how can we compare the present time with the glory that is about to be revealed. It is so much better. You know, if I told you, you can have a minute of suffering and an eternity of joy, which one would you focus on? The one minute or the eternity? I mean, I'd be, I'd be celebrating that eternity and just make it through that minute. And that's what he was saying. He was saying, basically, you know, what we have coming is so much better that it 
that this suffering of this time and this world pales in comparison to what has been prepared for us. In Corinthians, he says, this momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. We can't even measure the weight of glory that is coming for us. So as we go through the labor pains, it is important to hold on to our hope. It is important to picture ourselves on the other side with God in eternity and to know that through the Holy Spirit, God has given us a preview of things to come. You know, one of the things that we do as a family of God is we're trying to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We're doing our part to grow the family and to tell people you can be part of this family. We're doing our part to represent Christ as well as we can when we're out in our communities and with our families and friends. But we know that better is coming. Paul concludes with this. Hope that is seen is not hope at all. If you already have it, you've already seen it, then it's not hope. You already have it. It is when you have to stretch your faith to believe in it that it really becomes hope. When you haven't seen it yet, yet you can believe that God will do it, that's hope. When you haven't seen how things are going to work out in a situation, yet you trust that God is going to work it through, that is hope. That is faith. Hope is so important for our family because it moves us forward. It pulls us along. It encourages us in the middle of suffering. It, it gives us consolation in the middle of grief and loss. It lifts us up whenever we fall. And it reminds us that this life is temporary. But the life that is coming, that's eternal. Paul wanted the church to understand that being a child of God comes with both responsibilities and great benefits. But we can't have one without the other. God expects us to be responsible for our faith, to live out our lives in ways that honor him and honor the family and in ways that encourage our hope in the eternal life that has been prepared for us. I pray that we continue to live as children of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family, for receiving us, Lord, with all the baggage that we came with and promising to make our lives new. We come before you, O oh Lord, recognizing today that the enemy always tries to tell us that we don't belong or that we're not part of this family. But in Jesus' name, I declare that we are indeed children of God, that we belong in this family through our faith in Jesus Christ, and that as members of this family, we will do all in our power to bring your kingdom here on earth. Help us to call out to you, Father, whenever we are in need. Help us to know that you will be there as a faithful and good Father to respond to us. And help us to know, Lord, that we have a great family of faith to rely on. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
The altar is always open if you want to come. And if you just need to be reassured that you are part of that family of God, if you just need to feel the Spirit of God speaking to your spirit, the altar is open. We'll be glad to pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, you can always come to the reserve spot on the right side. If you come anywhere else on the altar, somebody from the prayer team will pray with you.